Garbage into Gold, a Sixers podcast, is part of Philadelphia Sports Nation. They are enhancing your Philadelphia sports fan experience. Visit online at phlsportsnation.com and head to the store there to get your Garbage into Gold gear. Uh, everything from t-shirts to sweatshirts, you'll be able to pick it up there. Again, that's phlsportsnation.com, enhancing your Philadelphia sports fan experience. As always, Garbage Into Gold is happily powered by Manscaped. Are you looking for the ultimate stocking stuffers for this holiday season? Look no further because our sponsors, Manscaped, have the tools to make you win this year's stocking stuffer or white elephant competition. Manscaped is the only brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming and hygiene products. And great news, they just released their products across Europe, Canada, and Australia. A few of their products that are prime stocking stuffers this season are the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant. Well, the name speaks for itself. There's also the Crop Reviver Ball Toner, a spray-on toner that will give your balls a little slice of heaven with their aloe vera and hazel extracts. There's also the Crop Cleanser Body Wash, a full body wash that you can also use on your hair. There's the Crop Mop Ball Wipes. You never know when an opportunity strikes, so you should always be prepared. And... If you're not looking for products for below the waist, there is the Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer, which provides proprietary skin-safe technology to get rid of those nasty nose hairs. Get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com with the code PHL and be the ballsiest gift giver this year with Manscaped. Again, that's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with the code PHL. All right, everyone. It's been a little while since our last episode, so I appreciate you tuning back in. Um... Jesse Larch will not be with us this week due to some scheduling conflicts, but we'll be joined by Kevin McCormick of 97.3 ESPN in South Jersey. You can give him a follow at KevinMCC973 on Twitter. So uh, he's going to hop on the show to talk about this past week in Sixers media availability. Uh, We'll go over some stuff from Dwight Howard, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, uh, and Doc Rivers. Uh, The first half schedule of the Philadelphia 76ers 2020-2021 campaign is out, so we'll discuss that. And we'll also give our thoughts on the Sixers rotation as we inch closer to the team's preseason opener. So uh, without any further delay, please enjoy this episode of Garbage into Gold. Garbage into Gold. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Garbage Into Gold. I'm one of your hosts, Brandon Apter. As I mentioned earlier, my usual co-host, Jesse Larch, will not be with us, but I am very happy to be joined by uh, my friend Kevin McCormick. He is a Sixers writer and beat. he's on the Sixers beat for uh, 97.3 ESPN. Kevin, thanks so much for joining the pod. No problem, man. It's good to be here. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you and I just talked uh, at length before hitting the record button here. Uh, we're recording probably 30 or 40 minutes uh, at this point after uh, the Eagles just lost to the Packers. And gosh, uh, Kevin, now that we're talking about Sixers basketball, maybe we're a little bit happier. But how are you feeling uh, in general after that Eagles loss? That Eagles game was a roller coaster of emotion between Hertz coming in and obviously leading a drive that ended up resulting in a touchdown to it actually being a game for about three minutes. But like you said, man, the future is looking bright for the Sixers after the season they just had. So um, I'm going to try and put those Eagles just on the back burner and hope for brighter days and just focus in on the team that is trending in the right direction as opposed to the Eagles, and that is the Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah, ain't that the truth? And this past week we got uh, to hear from the team for the first time more or less since Doc got hired and since they got knocked out in the first round of the playoffs in the bubble. So uh, it was nice to see some of the new additions and everything. I do want to mention before we get into the media availability uh, that Derek Bodner and Keith Pompey both reported today that Tyrese Maxey and Mike Scott have not reported to camp yet due to positive COVID tests. Um, Bodner has reported that Maxey is still expected at the facility in the coming days, but um, nothing more on Mike Scott. 
And I guess I just kind of want to lead off with your thought, uh, since we're since I mentioned Ty, uh, Tyrese Maxey, uh, your thoughts on, on the draft pick in general, uh, surprised that he fell, and what you think he can offer to the Sixers. Yeah, I think it was a good pick. In terms of my big board, I had him fourth overall. He was wow. you know, third at guard, but I had uh, Cole Anthony and Josh Green above him. They were obviously selected before him. But, I mean, he, he brings a lot. I think he has real potential of being, you know, that spark plug combo guard that can get downhill and really create something for a second unit coming in. And, I mean, if you think about it, early on in the draft process, he was looked at as a lottery guy, and there was no chance that he was going to be there when the Sixers selected at 21. So, I mean, anytime a player like that falls to you at 21 with, you know, lottery hype i mean it's going to be a good pick so i'm excited to see what he brings and what the sixers can implement with him on day one yeah it was exciting to see him working uh with uh rajon rondo with uh what it seemed like ben simmons off-season trainer so it also sounded like ben simmons got to see him work out as well um and just his enthusiasm and and confidence really hearing him in his media availability right after the draft I'm excited to see what he can do, and, and hopefully his, his shooting is one of the things that improves. But I think that um, it'll be interesting to see where he slots in the rotation, but we'll get to that later. Uh, let's get into a little bit of the media availability. Um, you know, We saw Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, uh, Tobias Harris, and a couple of other guys speak. Um, but why don't we start off with one of the new additions with Dwight Howard? And I think this is a signing that none of us really expected. Um, mentioned to you that I thought that Al Horford was going to be coming off the bench as a backup for Embiid this season because it just it seemed like a contract that they were not going to be able to get out of. But, you know, they trade him to Oklahoma City for Danny Green and uh, Terrence Ferguson send Oklahoma City a first round pick and we signed Dwight Howard, which is very unexpected, but should be very good. Uh, Dwight Howard, a guy that's kind of been polarizing across the vast majority of his career because of his personality, but it seems like his last year with the Lakers puts him in a good position to um, really supplement this team well, especially on the second unit. He talked about wanting to mentor Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons uh, and how Doc Rivers really wants him to be an agitator and get under people's skin. So uh, I guess your thoughts on the Dwight Howard signing and um, yeah, I mean, I, just your thoughts and, and what you think um, the improvement is there over a Horford coming off the bench. I think bringing in a guy like Dwight Howard at a vet minimum, obviously from a cost perspective, is a million times better than paying Al Horford his price tag for next season to be that kind of you know six-man-ish backup to Embiid. But I was very skeptical at first for a lot of things you said. You know, his journey through the NBA has been an interesting one, but hearing him speak lately, I feel like every time he's gotten in front of the media, I've liked the sounding more and more. He really seems like a changed guy. And just that year with the Lakers was really positive for him. And he understood what this point of his career is going to be like. And he seems extremely bought in to coming in, being a role guy and just kind of doing what's expected for the second unit for the team, just trying to help that team win and be that kind of elder sage of the locker room at this point in his career, which is crazy. Dwight Howard is one of those guys that I never expected to see in the Sixers uniform. So just the fact that he's going to be here playing is just, you know, it, it blows my mind to an extent. Yeah, I'm with you there. And I think one of the things too, that maybe some people undervalue, but I think you and I know the, how important it is, is the, uh, having, having a good mentor for the young players and for, to be honest, I thought Al Horford was going to be a very good mentor for a Joel Embiid and, and even for Ben Simmons, but it just didn't seem to turn out that way. And uh, it sounds like Dwight Howard is much more of a uh, vocal mentor, maybe, than Horford was. Uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on uh, Horford in, in that respect, but it just does seem like Dwight Howard just seems like a better, like the leader that they need over a guy like Horford. Yeah, I agree that... Um... Horford, it was definitely came out that Horford was indifferent at first or felt uncomfortable being that vocal guy in the beginning while he was still getting his feet wet. But although he could have been a good mentor to Embiid, obviously we'll never know the true story because nobody's really in and around those guys every day. But looking at Dwight Howard, he potentially could be a better mentor to Joel Embiid than Al Horford, mainly in the sense of Dwight can be that guy that can go to Joel and be like, hey, I was in your spot at one point. Like, 
be better than me, like learn from my mistakes. Like I went through this, this roller coaster of being the top big in the league and being a top guy, you know, trying to lead a franchise to a championship. Here's where I messed up. Learn from my mistakes, be better than me mentor, as opposed to Al Horford coming in being like, you know, Hey, I've had this solid career. Like I'm a well-respected vet around the league. Like I want to help improve you while Dwight can really give him the other side of the script as well. Yeah. I think that's a really good point that you mentioned. And, um, and Embiid is exactly in that spot that Dwight Howard was. I think that Dwight Howard was a very outspoken big man. Uh, you know, a lot of people believe that he's going to be a future Hall of Famer. And I think Joel Embiid uh, echoed what we're saying is that he's never had like a Hall of Fame big man or somebody of Dwight Howard's talent uh, in the same position to be able to pick his brain. So I think Joel is very open to being mentored by Dwight Howard as Dwight Howard is to mentor Joel Embiid. Uh, the quote that really stood out to me, and I think a lot of people um, are still iffy about Dwight Howard, but again, that season that he had with the Lakers, um, it sounds like it put a lot in perspective for him as to where he is in his career and his journey. So uh, what he said was, quote, before the season started with the Lakers last year, I just promised myself that whatever I had to do for the team, I'd be willing to do it. I know there's always been a perception about who people think I am and my character on the floor and off the floor. I don't have to score 30 points to help our team win. I don't have to be on the court all the time to help our team win. It was just a mindset that I had to change. It really helped me. It helped our team, and I'm glad I was not able to. Uh, I was. I'm glad I was able to not allow my past to affect my future. So. Um, I mean, if you ask me, it becomes one of those things where you think about all the guys that Joel Embiid has played with. Would you say that Dwight Howard is probably the best backup that we'll have since Joel Embiid entered the NBA? Yeah, in terms of being a true backup, he's definitely going to be the best. Whether you want to question if Horford you know, was the backup or not the backup is whatever. But in terms of somebody that's going to come in, like legitimately play behind Embiid and kind of be that guy in his ear off the scene... Yeah, Howard is definitely that guy. Gone are the days of the Sixers having to play Greg Monroe in a playoff game because Embiid is injured or away. So, and I mean, at a vet minimum, how he said all the right things. Like, I feel like he, like you said, he really understands what his role is going to be here. Like at that price tag and the championship experience that he's bringing with them, it's honestly up there with one of the best moves the Sixers have made this offseason, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it was one of the press conferences I honestly enjoyed hearing the most. I wasn't really sure what to expect because I hadn't followed him much last year. Uh, I knew he kind of accepted his role a bit more with the Lakers than he had prior uh, when he was playing with other stars. Um, but again, I, I loved listening to him talk, and it seems like he's just really been humbled and, uh, again, knows knows what his role is going to be. Um, he, he also mentioned that he was impressed by Shake Milton, who he had trouble. He had trouble pronouncing Shake Milton's uh, first name, Shake, <laughs> which I found to be a little bit funny. But it seems like Shake Milton is a guy that has come up in a lot of conversation with regard to uh, who to be on the eye out for, who to keep your eye out for. Um, and I think he'll probably come up a lot in our uh, discussion about the rotation. But uh, anything else on Dwight Howard before we move on? Just that I think he's going to be a great vet in this locker room, especially in a locker room that is much in much need of a culture change. Hopefully he can be that that vocal leader away from the floor to really help this team turn the corner. Yeah, agreed. So the next one that uh, we can go ahead and talk about is Ben Simmons. Obviously, Simmons missed uh, nearly the entirety of the playoffs. No, he missed the entirety of the four games that they got swept uh, after getting hurt in the in the bubble. Um, so, you know, a lot was talked about with regard to where Ben Simmons was going to play, uh, on ball or off ball. Doc Rivers said that Ben Simmons, you know, he's going to let him be free uh, and he's going to let him play to his strengths. Uh, Simmons talked a lot about the relationship between him and Joel Embiid. Um even joked about moving in together, which a lot of people thought was almost serious for a moment there. But um, 
Uh, one of the things that uh, he mentioned is that he's excited to run and be in pick and rolls for the first time in his career. You know, Brett Brown wasn't really big on the pick and rolls. So uh, after listening to him speak, uh, what are your expectations for him this season? We know the jumper narrative. There are people that think that he needs it in order for the for the team to, to get to that title level. Uh, those he believe, who believe that he can improve in other aspects of his game in order for the team to get there. So what are your expectations for Ben Simmons? And what do you hope to see in terms of him taking a step forward this season? One thing I really hope and expect to see is him really show this season of how great of a playmaker he really is. Actually, it's an article I wrote about for 97.3 a couple of weeks ago about just him being fully equipped to just put on a playmaking showcase this season, you know, looking at Danny Green and Seth Curry and the potential space that this team is going to have this year. And Doc Rivers, you know, saying he's letting Ben be creative and not put him in a set position. And I really think that Ben Simmons could average double digit assists this season or bare minimum be a top three guy in total assists and assists per game this year. Like you said, the jumper narrative is so washed up and, over talked about it's taboo but occasions where him and mb just kind of do that that quick runoff and ben flies around him to get to the rim but i'm excited to see what they do with him whether as with the ball or without the ball i think he's a very dangerous role man as well rolling to the rim and not many teams can have a playmaker like ben simmons rolling off of screens to be able to still open up the floor in that position so I'm excited to see a positionless and creative Ben Simmons this year. Yeah, um, I, I agree with you. I think one of the things that he said that he was working on and that I think that if he's not going to shoot jump shots, not even three-point shots, uh, needs to be uh, being more aggressive. You mentioned playmaking, but in that, I think you have to realize sometimes you're going to have to score uh, by yourself. and. And driving into the lane and being a dangerous threat at the rim is one of the things that he wants to do. So I think that if he's not going to, um, you know, add a, a jump shot to his arsenal, uh, which I believe he still should, he should be more aggressive on a consistent basis, which we did see when Joel Embiid was out this past season for a long stretch. But uh, I think him getting to the line and drawing more fouls and even shooting like 60, 65 percent. Uh, from the line would be a big uh, improvement over what we've seen in the past. Definitely. Or even just those situations where he can get a rebound and just go coast to coast. When Ben Simmons is in the open floor and is at, you know, a full head of steam, very few players can get in front of him and slow him down. So I'm going to grab this rebound. I'm going to put my head down and I'm going to get to the rim and nobody's going to stop me. And he can create more scoring opportunities for himself in that way. Great. I, I definitely agree that he needs to be more aggressive. Would like to see him get to the line more. Obviously, we, we won't really know, but I do think in a more up-tempo offense that Doc Rivers has mentioned that the team's going to run, I kind of get the ball, put his head down, get to the rim, and hopefully he isn't reluctant to finish at the rim. Yeah, so I think you and I both agree that he needs to be a little bit more aggressive. Jump shot obviously does not need to be the number one thing for him to show, but um, I believe that he is the most valuable in a primary ball-handling role um, but uh, he does need to add that um, uh, free throw shooting, drawing fouls, or a jump shot uh, when it comes to half-court offense because, unfortunately, their half-court offense was not great. Last year, given we have a much different roster with Danny Green and Seth Curry that will be on the core and a lot more shooting threats, uh, so that should help out a little bit. But he's going to need to take a step forward there, and I certainly expect his defense to be uh, on the same level, if not even higher, than uh, previous years. Uh, that we've seen him uh, take step forwards in. But uh, one of one of the things that uh, he spoke about, and I forgot to mention when we were talking about Dw with Dwight Howard, uh, and one of the things that's so focused upon with the national media is the relationship between Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Uh, a lot of national media outlets don't believe that they can coexist because they're not friends off the floor. They're just friends on the floor, and they know each other that way. Uh, it sounds like they've been working on their relationship a little bit, and they kind of both... Uh, shoot down the narrative that they're not that they won't be able to work together they realize that uh, they need each other to be able to succeed and when Dwight Howard was talking about uh, Embiid and Simmons uh, he talked a lot about LeBron and Anthony Davis who were like glued to the hip when it came to on the court and off the court they were bike bike riding outside and doing all this uh, doing all this shit together which helped with the chemistry chemistry 
on the court. Uh, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid about like two different types of people. Joel Embiid is kind of out there, kind of goofy guy, likes to play video games, uh, really into soccer and everything. Simmons is is a little bit more of a private guy, a little bit more reserved and everything like that. So uh, I guess I just kind of want to get your thoughts on what Dwight Howard said with regard to them needing to be more like LeBron and AD. And if you think that they'll ever get to a level um, where, you know, they'll have that sort of chemistry on the court. I really don't know if they'll ever hit that like super best friend, like they're going to spend every waking moment together type of duo, just because like you said, their personalities are kind of polarizing. But at the end of the day, I don't think they hate each other, which is good. They don't have to be super best friends, but as long as they get along together in a professional standpoint and don't despise each other, that's what you're looking for. But, I mean, I think it's there. It's hard to say that they don't work together with the success they've had together. And if they truly didn't want to be around each other and didn't want to work together, they both wouldn't have signed five-year extensions with the team. So, at the end of the day, I think they both want to be great, and they both want to be great together. Because, like you said, they do understand that if they're going to be successful, they need to work together because the franchise is only going to go as far as the two of them take it. Yeah, and I think one of the things that always concerns me a little bit is Joel Embiid always talks about how uh, he doesn't want to just you can't just post up fifty times a game. Like he needs to be more. He needs to be more than that. He needs to shoot threes because it helps uh, Ben be able to attack and get to the basket, or Tobias be able to cut and get to the basket and and stuff like that. So I feel like Embiid kind of realizes that you know he's one of the most dominant post players. Um, that the Sixers have ever seen. But uh, in addition to that, like he's, he knows that he's willing to sacrifice. And I guess the only thing I don't hear that from Simmons, like I hear the confidence in his game and what he's good at and everything. But I guess that's my one concern is that, is he willing to sacrifice or add a part to his game in order to help the team? Or is he just going to, you know, improve what he's good at, which is fine. You know, he's an all-star at a, at the age of 24 so uh your your thoughts on that that's that's a tough one maybe with the improved veteran presence around them maybe it helps him realize that but at the end of the day i think you know like you said he's only 24 years old i feel like a lot of it comes from the age perspective and the maturity aspect of you know, finally realizing that and, and you know, way of smelling the coffee of, hey, you know, this guy's doing that to help us win and that guy's doing that. You know, maybe I should do X or do Y, whether it's shooting or you name it. I mean, yeah, he could make sacrifices to his game, you know, whether it's shooting one or two threes a game. But Joel being aware that the post presence is, you know, being the only area of his game not like to do that religiously is not going to work, I think is spot on. I think we saw it and like full fledged in the postseason where they would dump it to Joel. He would work super hard in the post, go and get that bucket for the Celtics to walk down the other end of the floor, run a high pick and roll and just step into a wide open three. I mean, just from a numbers perspective, you can't keep up with that. I think more of that was just Joel being aware of today's game and how it works and understanding that being that type of guy alone isn't going to get the job done. Yeah, and and since we're talking about Joel Embiid, we should uh, go ahead and uh, start talking about his uh, media availability. And I think, um, what's it called? Uh, When it comes to to Ben Simmons, actually before, uh, one of the things that Simmons talked about, a lot of the players were asked about accountability. uh, And it seemed like Ben Simmons was very open about that, that a lot of people didn't know what they were running, who was getting a bucket when and really where they were supposed to be on the floor. Uh, And then you go to Joel Embiid, who, uh, you know, was very complimentary of Brett Brown, thought he was going to be his coach for his entire career, especially after those back-to-back 50-win seasons before the roster had a big changeover. Um, But, you know, he wasn't uh, hesitant to criticize what they were not good on a guy. I think that's why we saw Brett Brown get... uh, uh, get fired last season. But in addition to Embiid talking about the half-court offense being a big issue, uh, he, he wants to win very badly for the city of Philadelphia and spend the rest of his career here. You know, he just had a a kid with his girlfriend, um, and we talked about it a little bit before, but he knows that he needs to do more than just post up to be effective. Uh, he wants to be an all-around player. It sounded like his he believed his stats 
23 points, 12 rebounds a game were enough. Um, but I guess they weren't. You know, on a team like last year, they probably needed Joel Embiid to score 35 points and grab 15 rebounds for them to go to the finals. Um, but, uh, yeah, I guess your, your takeaways from Embiid's uh, media availability and what, what do you need to see from him this year? Because as we've both said, uh, this team goes as Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid go. And if they don't improve, then it, like all of these offseason additions don't matter anyway. One thing I've always said about Joel Embiid and the thing that makes him so easy to root for is just he wears his heart on his sleeve, which is why I think he was so you know admin of Brett, especially because he hasn't been playing the game long. And the fact that Brett was basically his main coach through you know a huge majority of the time he's been playing the sport so i mean the time they spent together i think that really meant a lot to him and he respected brett and you know they went through a lot together through the process being like the faces of it so it didn't shock me that he wanted brett to be around that whole time i think him going to doc and stating that they need to be better in the half court is just like i said before more of him just being aware of what this team needs to improve if they want to win but in terms of him improving his game, I mean, I think he understands that he needs to improve in the areas that he needs to improve in. You know, like we've said, he understands that he needs to be more than a post guy. One area, I guess, to state would be him passing out down low. I think that even though the Sixers are going to have more spacing, that he's still going to see doubles down there. Teams aren't going to just let him destroy them in the post. So if he can continue to improve as a passer in his decision-making and cut down on his turnovers, I think we could see an even more dominant Joel Embiid this season. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree with you there. I think, again, the, the, the decision-making is a big thing, and I think that the there's going to be a lot of increased in ca- accountability and holding each other responsible. Uh, and I know Doc Rivers, who we'll talk about next, uh, is very has been very big on making sure that Ben and, and Joel are vocal, especially when it comes to, to defense. So... Um, Again, I'm just I'm just overall excited to to see this new group on the floor and see these guys hopefully take that step forward that we've seen like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum take on the Celtics. I know it's nauseating to think about, but it has. <laughs> um, so so yeah, with regard to Doc Rivers, um, he he met with the media briefly briefly today. Said uh, despite some players not playing at all since their last bubble game, the team looked pretty good. Uh, the, they practiced for nearly two and a half hours and took very few breaks. Uh, and this quote uh, is about Embiid specifically. We just went almost about two and a half hours and Joel took very few breaks. We go from action to action to action. I want our players to feel that. The fact that he didn't feel the need to take a lot of breaks is a good sign for us. So not only does that show that Joel is very invested uh, but at the same time, I think that could speak a lot to his conditioning, which I still think was very overblown ever since, you know, there was that TMZ video of him eating Shake Shack with an injury. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, very good to hear that they, they're already like very far into, you know, going from action to action to action and that Embiid is in, in very good shape. So I know you got to, to catch the end of, of Doc's uh, media availability uh, on Sunday. But uh, what were your overall takeaways with what he got to discuss? There's a lot to break down with what you just said. I mean, from the term, uh, the fact of, you know, them going as hard as they did with little breaks, I think it speaks volumes to the awareness of the team as a whole, understanding that, hey, we went through pretty much a complete makeover in a short amount of time. We need to maximize the little time we have before the preseason starts and the real action starts to begin. And in terms of MB going hard, I mean, it's great to hear. Hopefully he continues to keep it up. I think a lot of people don't realize that this was his first offseason that he went into healthy. So I think the fact that he was able to come in in a playable type of shape from day one and not really need to work himself into it stands out. And it also goes back to the accountability thing. Joel Embiid understands that he is one of the faces of this franchise and that, you know, the work starts and ends with him. So with him going out there, taking little breaks and kind of leading by example and being that that staple that look at of, oh, hey, Joel's going this hard, like I'm going to follow his lead kind of thing is great in all aspects. 
Yeah, I think uh, he's, you know, we saw a lot of different sides of Joel Embiid last year, uh, one that was trying to be a little more tame on social media, and then he kind of started to try to be more like himself. And I think that uh, one of the signs that he's definitely being more like himself is when uh, um, Tony Bradley, who they acquired from the Pistons in the Zaire Smith trade, uh, said that when he's been practicing with Joel, uh, Joel said, you're not against Rudy Gobert anymore in practice. So I thought that that was uh, not only a nice dig against Rudy Gobert, but just uh, a sign that Joel Embiid is is hopefully back to what we knew him to be personality-wise. It's almost like that old clip of when he was training with Mo Bamba and he dunked on him in a workout and he said, welcome to the league. He added some explicits in there that I won't repeat. but. Yeah. Like I said, it's good to see – like I said, he's an emotional guy. He wears his heart on his sleeve. It's it's good to see him when the emotions are high and him really pushing himself. That You know, you hear stuff like that. As much as he wants to be serious, I think he needs to stay fun-loving because at the end of the day, when he's out there on the court and he's in rhythm and you can tell he's having fun, he is very hard to stop. I, we saw it in that Atlanta Hawks game prior to the suspension of the season where he went for like – 49 and 15 and he was taking guys off the dribble and splashing threes and dancing and throwing his hands up to the crowd. I think that is Joel Embiid arguably at his best. Yeah. And uh, since you mentioned him when he's having fun, throwing his hands up with the crowd, I think that's a nice segue into our next topic, which is the Sixers schedule release. Um, we, we got a peek at the, uh, first 37 games of the 72 game season that the NBA will play and the, uh, Sixers 37 games. They have 19 home, 18 on the road, but pretty much all of them are going to feel like road games. Uh, this is something that was a big question with regard to the bubble, whether the crowd noise affects them. Uh, I think in a first round playoff series with the Celtics, uh, not in the bubble, uh, who knows which way that goes, uh, if it's even worse than it was before. I know they were swept, but gosh, if they were in TD Garden for the majority of those games, it could have been even worse score-wise than it was. But, um, <laughs> you know, 19 home games, 18 road games. We haven't gotten any idea as to whether they're going to pump crowd noise. I know there are a couple of stadia, a couple of arenas that plan to have very small amounts of fans, but what are your thoughts on uh, whether the crowd noise with no fa- fans being in uh, the Wells Fargo center, is that going to affect the Sixers positively or negatively? I think it's definitely going to play a toll. I mean, you think about it, the Sixers were untouchable at home last year. And I, I think a big part of that is like they said, it Philly is a very tough arena to come into when that place is rocking and the Sixers are on a roll. It's, it's a tough environment to come into. And I think it's something that the players definitely you know used as a boost to feed off of and not having that is going to be very tough i think having just being on your home court and having that sense of home might help them a little bit as opposed to being in the bubble even though it kind of felt like home them being able to actually you know stay at their own places in philly and being able to come to the wells fargo center and be back on that actual court could be a boost but yeah i think it's going to be tough we saw in the bubble that they struggled even before the bubble that road games were tough for them. I think part of it will have to play to Ken doc rivers, get these guys to show up when there's nobody in the crowd, which was arguably something that Brett Brown couldn't do. He couldn't get them to show up on the road, you name it. But I think it'll definitely play its toll, but hopefully with a new group of guys around, they can kind of keep the environment high themselves without a crowd and Doc Rivers can really get the most out of them without having to feed off the energy of a roaring crowd. Yeah, I would have to agree with you there. I think it's something they're obviously going to have to get used to, but um, they're going to have to create their own energy. And um, I think that's one of the things that Dwight Howard mentioned is that when you don't have fans, uh, you have to try and create your own energy. And I remember the days of the process Sixers when those guys were really wild on the bench, even TJ McConnell, um, and Justin Anderson, who's back with the team, are, are great bench guys, good locker room guys. So uh, I think they definitely have a lot, you know, guys with a lot more personality on this team with regard to, to guys that are going to be on the bench. And it seems like their draft picks are very energetic and confident and um, just seem like they're going to be great additions with, when it comes to creating their own energy. Who knows? But um, uh, the Sixers schedule, their first chunk of games really looks like a favorable start for them. 
So they'll start off with uh, Russell Westbrook and uh, Brad Beal <laughs> and the Wizards, which is still very weird to say. Uh, then they'll go uh, against the Knicks, the Cavs, the Raptors, the Magic. Then they'll play the Hornets twice, and then they will play the Wizards again. You know, playing the Hornets twice, um, you know, they play the Celtics twice and a couple of other teams twice during the first half of the season and what the NBA is trying to do to reduce travel. Um, so uh, through the first one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games, you know, you would, you would think – it's going to take some time to adjust, so maybe not a six and two, but I think maybe a, a five and three start would be a good thing for this uh, new look roster. But uh, again, looking at the schedule, I, I don't think a six and two is uh, off the table. Um, but what what are your thoughts on, on how their schedule lays out for them early on, and uh, also your thoughts on the uh, kind of baseball-esque series that we'll see. I think against like teams like Boston and Toronto, it's going to make things a little more interesting. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting. I think it's going to be one of those, you're not really going to know how you feel about it until you watch. I think having to watch Jason Tatum go against the Sixers on back-to-back nights is not going to be fun to watch. But <laughs> I, do, I do applaud the NBA for trying to take any kind of precaution of you know, trying to limit travel and try and keep these guys as safe and healthy as possible. But this first half of the schedule is very favorable. I do agree with you that for them being a new look roster, looking at the schedule, it definitely does give them a chance to figure things out early and potentially, you know, still save your record in the process. I mean, you got Washington, uh, New York and Cleveland are the first three games. That's a pretty favorable first three games for a new look roster that's still trying to figure things out. And then you have that Toronto game where, you know, that, that could go either way. I think Toronto still be good, but I mean, the Sixers can still be very competitive. So I wouldn't be shocked if they went on a very good run, but I'm also preparing for the fact of just the fact that this team is going to have growing pains. Like it's a definite new coaching staff, new supporting cast around the stars, like things need to be worked out and they haven't really had the typical full off season to do so. Yeah, um, some notable games after that, after that eight-game stretch, uh, they will see Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, uh, and the Brooklyn Nets for the first time on January 7th. Uh, they will, uh, Al Horford will have his revenge game against the Sixers <laughs> on January 17th. Uh, I mean, I can see it now, Al Horford scoring 21 points and grabbing 13 yep. rebounds while shutting mm-hmm. Joel Embiid down in, in a Thunder upset over the Sixers. I mean, it's just bound to, it's definitely going to happen. I already oh, have that at marked as a loss uh, yeah. on the schedule. It's circle, yeah, it's circled and it's going to happen. No <laughs> doubt that Al Horford's going to come in and look like the old Al Horford and not Sixer Al Horford. Yeah, not, not a chance. Um, January 20th and 22nd is their uh, series, I would say, against Boston. Um, they play the defending world champion Lakers on January the 27th. Danny Green will get to go up against his former team. Um, and then the Sixers will play against Josh Richardson, Luka Doncic, Chris Stapps, Porzingis, and the Dallas Mavericks on February 25th. I think Josh Richardson's going to fit in well on that team. He fits, uh, fill, fills a good need for them. But uh, overall, I think the first uh, first half schedule for the Sixers um, plays out for them positively, and, and hopefully uh, they'll be able to uh, really, really have some momentum going into the second half, uh, being in the first you know, four, four seeds of the Eastern Conference, which has certainly gotten tougher with uh, Kyrie Irving mm-hmm. and Kevin Durant uh, being right there to bring the Nets uh, up to the top of things. Yeah, there's definitely there's a lot of stretches where the Sixers definitely can go on a run and build momentum. And I think momentum is going to be huge for a team like this that's going to figure it out on the fly. If they can get a couple good wins under their belt to start the season, I think it could really help the confidence aspect and the whole idea of, hey, even though we didn't have this much time together, we're going to make this work. And like clearly it is working. Those games against the Nets, the Lakers, those are two big circled ones for me. I think those are going to be good matchups and should be fun to watch. But I wouldn't be shocked if they're a top seed looking at the first half of the season. There's definitely some bumps and it's going to be a roller coaster, but it's a definitely favorable schedule for a new look team. And I wouldn't be shocked if they walk away from it at, in a position to have home court advantage in a playoff series. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so the opener for them, December 23rd, 
at home against the Wizards, and then the next two. How about them are... not getting a Christmas game? How yeah, about that? Well, man? they don't have a Christmas game or a Martin Luther King game either, and so they're not on any of those like big national days. Mm-hmm. Especially after how they played on Christmas last year, I thought that was rough for them not to be put on again this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, yeah, you're right. Uh, w- one of the other notable matchups I forgot to mention is they'll have a. Um, what's it called? A two-game series with the Miami Heat, Jimmy Butler, and the Eastern Conference champion Miami Heat on January 12th and 14th. So that one should be good. I feel like the Sixers match up a little bit better than they have against them. And Bam Adebayo is one of those young players that I know I've really enjoyed watch progressing, and he just got that max contract um, from the Heat uh, during the offseason. February 13th, uh, the Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Dario Saric, and the Phoenix Suns. The Sixers will see them for the first time. And um, February 11th, Rocco. They will go visit Rocco and the Portland Trailblazers. So uh, a lot of uh, fun games. You know, the Nets twice. Uh, they host the Rockets. And uh, their last game of the first half, half is against um, six-man Donovan Mitchell and the Utah Jazz. <laughs> And listen, the beginning game and the end game are going to be very big, and I think those are two winnable games for them with the Wizards and the Jazz. Another game I've circled is I believe they have Atlanta in the first half as well. I think they're they're my surprise yep. team in the East this year. I think they're going to be very interesting to watch, and I'm looking forward to the Sixers facing off against a team that has the potential to have the depth that Atlanta could have. Yeah, I agree with you there. When uh, On our last episode, Jesse and I talked about who we think had the most improved uh, off season. And I, you know, I mentioned the Hawks hands down and it's not just because mm-hmm. I live in Atlanta and might be, they might be my second <laughs> team, but, um, you know, envisioning a lineup with, uh, Gallinari, Trey mm-hmm. Young, Clint Capella, um, uh, Bogdanovich, and then Kevin Herter too on that team. I mean, they have a lot of weapons, but it's going to be very, yeah. very interesting to see how, uh, they defend because they have a, uh, the potential to be a very good offensive team, but not a whole, a whole lot of, defensive players uh, aside from um you know like john collins herder is a good defender but trey young's not even not not there yet yeah he yeah he's just a complete negative on that side of the ball but hey they're gonna be fun to watch uh charlotte's another team that i think is going to be sneakily fun to watch i was very out on Lamelo ball all through the draft process but seeing him lately i it's kind of hitting me that the hornets are they're building something interesting down there and they should be a very fun slash interesting team to watch, especially as the play-in tournament comes closer and closer. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited for the play-in tournament uh, this season. No, we won't have it in the bubble, but I really, really enjoyed the drama of uh, you know the the Blazers mm-hmm. Grizzlies game and and the others that were playing there. It was added added a March Madness feel to uh, the NBA. So. Um, all right. So the last thing that we have to talk about, which is really like the only other big thing going into the preseason and uh, the regular season is uh, what what the lineups look like. So, um, you know, they get Steph, uh, Seth Curry and they get Danny Green. Um, you know, you still have Shake Milton who started in the bubble. Tobias Harris, obviously a lock uh, to start. So you have to imagine Tobias Harris. Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons are the three locks to start. So for you, who fills out those other two spots in the starting lineup? So I think Danny Green is another almost lock for the starting lineup just because of what he brings from a 3 and D aspect. And that fifth spot is something I've teeter-tottered on between Shake Milton and Seth Curry. But after hearing Doc Rivers speak, he seems very intent on having Shake kind of be the guy for the second unit, and it seems like he's going to turn him into a Lou Willish six-man t- six type of player, mm-hmm. which I totally support. But with that, I think Seth Curry becomes that fifth starter. I think he provides enough ball handling in his own right to be a secondary ball handler with Ben Simmons on the floor. Obviously provides great floor spacing. He gives a pick-and-roll partner with Simmons and Embiid when they're off the ball. And is also a guy that you can just kind of throw in the corner while the rest of the guys are going to work that is going to draw attention. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the uh, Simmons, Simmons, Curry, Green, Harris, and Bead lineup makes the most sense. Uh, you know, it bears <laughs> a striking resemblance to the Simmons, Reddick, Covington, Dario, and Bead lineups of past, but 
I mean, I think this is a little better. I think Seth, Seth Curry and JJ Redick are similar in some ways, but um, you know, Seth Curry isn't necessarily as good off screens as uh, as Redick is. You know, he's kind of built his career on coming off screens. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how they use Seth Curry. And it sounds like even when Ben Simmons goes out, it sounds like Seth Curry could be the guy that um, takes over the primary ball handling for that. So I guess um, we agree on the starting lineup with regard to first subs. I think Shake Milton's obviously going to be there, but then it kind of gets a little questionable from there. Obviously, Embiid goes out, Horf- uh, uh, not Horford, Howard comes in. They're two similar <laughs> last names. Um, and then the... Um, Beyond that, you have Furkan, you have Matisse Thybul, you have Tyrese Maxey. So I guess in that first wave of subs, aside from a Shake and a Dwight Howard, the obvious replacements, uh, who who fills in for who? Who who kind of what's the order of that in your head? I honestly think it's going to be a toss up, and it could be one of those things where we see a different group of guys every night. Uh, I feel like after shaking Dwight Howard, the most plausible lock is Matisse Thibel, just because what he brings on the defensive side of the ball. But after that, I mean, it could be a toss-up between wing shooters of do you go with a freaking Korkmaz or do you go with an Isaiah Joe? I feel like it could be also a feeding the hot hand at times of which shooter is shooting better at that point. I would almost call Tyrese Maxey a lock in the second unit, but now that he will be even more delayed as he clears COVID protocols, I wonder what that does to the implementation of him into the rotation early on. Same with Mike Scott. Uh, it seems like he's another guy that had a chance to earn a rotation spot, especially because with Al Horford gone, obviously there's no clear backup power forward behind Tobias Harris unless you want to use Ben Simmons in the power forward minutes that Tobias Harris isn't there, but you name it, I think those are guys that it's all going to be kind of a puzzle that works its way out as the season progresses, and I wouldn't be shocked if the Sixers go pretty deep this year with how fast they're playing games, and there's going to be, you know, those series style of games. I wouldn't be shocked if we see a basis to kick off the year. Yeah, I think think for me, with regard to primary ball handling, it seems like Seth Curry is going to be given that responsibility uh, right off the bat, uh, with and without Simmons on the court. Um, but, you know, I think Tyrese Maxey is going to be a guy by the middle of the season that might even be one of those first subs off the bench alongside uh, Shake Milton, potentially, or even when Ben Simmons coughs, it comes off the bench, because I feel like he brings a lot to the table similar to what Jimmy Butler did, obviously not to a Jimmy Butler level. But when you talk about combo guards that can defend well, that's who I think about. You know, he can create his own shot. He can um, finish at the rim. And I think um, when the Sixers have somebody like that uh, with the balls in their with the ball in their hands, um, you know, it just makes them a little bit more dangerous. And I think him and pick and rolls with Dwight Howard and him and pick and rolls with Joel Embiid is going to be something to look out for uh, and be excited for uh, as well. I think Shake Milton really slots into that Lou Williams role too. I don't love him as as a guy that that brings the ball up the court and, and initiates the offense. I just I never really liked it last year. I think he's just more of a pure shooter, uh, and that's mm-hmm. fine. Um. But yeah, I mean, Doc has talked so highly about um, both Thibel and Korkmaz, and then obviously you have Maxi, Isaiah Joe, uh, who I think will get um, you know maybe some garbage time early on. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the rotation minutes are. But when we talk about Isaiah Joe, Tyrese Maxi, um, I guess realistically, how much time do you think these two guys get early on in the season? I think Tyrese Maxey's chances are hurt early on, like I said earlier, due to him like clearing COVID protocols and all. Isaiah, Isaiah Joe, I feel like he could be that guy that we, that we see sneakily get more minutes than people expected for him being a second-round pick. He's a guy that I had as a sleeper early on in the draft process. Uh, then it came, reports came out that they gave him a draft promise. So I think they're very high on him and what he can bring. And he's just one of those guys that when he steps in the gym, he's in range. So I think they're going to give him the chance – to really see what he can do early on. And, you know, like you said, garbage time minutes and stuff like that. But 
Yeah, the rotation's just a big question mark because Doc Rivers has also spoken very highly of Ferk and Korkmaz, and he said that Korkmaz is going to be a big part of what they do. So I really think it could be just that mix and match to begin the season, just to kind of figure out what you have, you know, who can do what in those situations and who's just kind of going to kind of outplay each other. I wouldn't be shocked if it's almost like a quiet tournament-esque situation through those first 16, 17 games. Yeah, um, and you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but we know the power forward spot doesn't really have a lot of depth behind Tobias Harris if you don't. <laughs> I mean, Ben Simmons can clearly defend guys at that position, but behind Tobias Harris, yeah. you pretty much have Mike Scott, Mike Scott. and he took mm-hmm. a big step back last year, big regression. Uh, so I think that um, once he clears uh, COVID protocols and everything, if he kind of starts to show that uh, range that he was able to show uh, when he was acquired from the Clippers and the Harris trade, that'll be a like gigantic piece for them uh, just because he's such a big energy guy. And I think he's like a TJ McConnell esque spark. Uh, he might not be a great defender, but I think he's a guy that can get under people's skin and really be physical when, when you need to be. So um I'm not sure how good I feel about the depth behind Tobias Harris, but I, you know, I'm interested to see if Doc has small ball lineups out there where you have Ben Simmons at a five or, or something mm-hmm. like that, where you have Howard Simmons um, and three other guys there too. Because if Tobias Harris is one of those guys that seems to be on the court longer than Simmons and Embiid are uh, when it comes to substitutions, at least how it was in the past. So uh, maybe we see uh, Ben Simmons sub out early and some back in for, for Tobias Harris. Who knows? Uh, um, so I guess my last question to you before uh, I let you go and we wrap up here is, I guess, like your thoughts on the depth behind Tobias Harris and how you think that they can uh, you know, work around that if Mike Scott doesn't uh, come back or even be close to the form that he was prior to his regression. In that case, I would just have to say you get creative and you embrace the versatile talent that Ben Simmons can be. I mean, we saw him in that point forward role last year, and now with the added shooting and ball handling on this roster, I wouldn't be fully against the idea of going Dwight Howard, Ben Simmons, and three ball handlers slash shooters and kind of turn it into like a track meet kind of lineup because although Dwight Howard's going to be 35 when the season starts, he still runs the floor great. So, I mean... That, that could be a lineup where you just try and go out there and run teams out of the gym while Joel Embiid rests. So besides Mike Scott, I mean, yeah, Ben Simmons kind of has to be that guy behind Tobias Harris at that power forward role. Yeah. So a lot of interesting storylines to uh, think about before uh, the preseason opens, I believe, on December the 15th. We're not too far away from that. <laughs> Um, and as this, crazy as it sounds, it feels like basketball just ended. Yeah. So, um, Kevin, again, I appreciate you taking time to, to come on the pod. Um, where can people find your work online? So you can find me on Twitter at Kevin MCC 973, and you can find all my written work either at 973 ESPN.com or sports All right. Thanks again for coming on. And hopefully we'll be able to uh, catch up with you at some point during the season. No problem, man. Looking forward to it.